up to Jason Sanford. Jason and I go uh, pretty far back, uh, back to high school in uh, Brookline, Massachusetts, uh, when we we're both uh, contributors to kind of weird uh, alternative zines and uh, then wound up working at different times at the Coolidge Corner Movie House. Um, we talk about Jason's path uh, from art into experimental music uh, and his uh, eventual move from uh, Massachusetts to Colorado. Uh, I had a I had a really good time catching up with Jason, and uh, I hope you enjoy some of the results. What's happening? How's your day? Uh, it was okay. It was a little more hectic than uh, I had anticipated, but it was pretty good. I was a substitute teacher for one of my colleagues' classes today. Oh, uh, where are you teaching? Hmm. In Boulder at CU Boulder. Ah, cool. Yeah. How how long have you been doing that? Um, I guess three three and a half years. Yeah. Doing it. Yeah. What What are you teaching? I'm teaching some courses in um, uh, in I'm in like a media production department, and I'm teaching some courses in in media and sound. Oh, cool. Yeah. Like like recording stuff or. Um, sometimes I give them creative recording assignments, uh, but I also teach them how to solder and work with electronics a little bit. Oh, okay. And yeah, it's like a smattering of different things. That's cool. Yeah. You, you, you enjoy that job? Yeah. It's, it's one of the better day jobs i've had i think yeah 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 is is that your first teaching job or had you taught early, at other I, places i've done some like um adjuncting over the years mm -hmm. since i got um you know i got an mfa whenever that was around 2000 or so oh you did where where did you get an mfa at uh mass art oh okay i was in the intermediate program the sim program there yeah, that's that's already two thousand is already after my time out of Boston, so right <laughs> to get up to speed. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So so you're still in Chicago, right, Dimitri? I am. I am in yep. Chicago. Yeah, I don't I don't foresee myself leaving ever. I mean, it's after a certain point, uh, you know, you you put in time in a certain place and effort and stuff. Yeah, it just starts to become sort of unthinkable, <laughs> unimaginable to start over. Yeah. Uh, although that, I mean, yeah, that's what you did. Um, yeah, that's how I felt about it. Yeah, and the, but then I married an academic, and she got a job in Boulder, so we we moved. What year did you uh, move? We moved two thousand seventeen. Yeah, it's been like five years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And was it hard to, to find your footing at first? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a big change. I guess it's, I mean, it's been sort of like probably good for me psychologically overall. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sunny here, which is wonderful. And, and I knew 
in New England that I had seasonal affective disorder, but I didn't really realize the extent of it until I Oh, you there. would get down in the winters? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, uh, yeah, you're, uh, you're 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 so associated with that place with Boston, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know when you when a person moves away from a place and and those people that you knew are just fixed there forever in a certain way, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I was there a long, long time. Yeah, did you? Did you grow? I I mean, I met you in high school, but did you grow yeah. up in around there? Yeah, we moved to to Brookline when I was in the second grade. Um, oh, like me? So, like, oh, <laughs> I mean, I, I moved from from Russia to, yeah. to to Brookline when I and they put me in second grade, but they should have put me in third grade. But you know. that's a big change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a culture. I still haven't quite acclimated. <laughs> Where did you move from in second grade? Well, we when I was four, we moved from from California. Oh, uh, and we lived in Wellesley for a couple of years. Uh, so I, I did kindergarten and first grade in Wellesley, mm. and then we moved in into the city. Right, mine felt like the city compared to Wellesley. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's a near suburb. It's it's on the mm-hmm. train, on the public transportation. So, yeah, it's not a full fledged suburb the way you would think in a lot of places, I guess. Yeah. So my days are busy out here. I've been like meaning since we t- um, um, made this appointment uh-huh. to like I I opened your website, but I never listened to your other podcasts. Well, there are many, and there's plenty of time, and they'll they'll be there forever. So. I, I feel remiss because I was like gonna prepare and be like, "What happens?" But no, I don't know. I'll just take uh, it as it comes. Actually, yeah, that it may not have prepared you because it 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 uh, depends entirely on the guest and my rapport with the guest and how far back we go. And I mean, so far, most of the people I've talked to are people I've known one way or another for some length of time. Mm-hmm. So. Like I, I rarely, you know, formally prepare because this is not tied to say like a new book or a new record or something. Right. I'm just interested in having long meandering conversations with people whose work I find interesting (laughs) one way or another, you know, there's not really any agenda. So you set the agenda and yeah, if, if, you know, if you want to, if you have something that's been eating at you that you need to address, this is a, a good forum for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds, it sounds, I, I'm that, that sets me at ease. Okay. I, yeah. I feel, I feel fine then. Yeah. I mean, some of them have been super specific to whatever people were working on. Other ones are completely like personal, like whatever everyday life kind of shit. Uh, not, Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know that you'd personally know any of my previous guests. Maybe uh, uh, John Hodgman I had uh, did this with me. Uh, I, yeah, I remember John. Yeah. Who, I mean, you, I haven't would, seen him yeah. since high school. But Right. Yeah. But, He's yeah. remained an interesting person. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't see John that often, but uh, he, he was nice enough to, to do this. Yeah. Uh, other people, I mean, there's a lot of musicians, a few artists, some writers, you know. 
Yeah. People that do a variety of things. Um, but, yeah, where it goes is just where it goes. <laughs> so, well, well, here's a, here's a, um, here's a, a question for either of us or any of your past or future guests is like, it's not, it's, I, I have found it's not so much about like, um, how do you make art or do something artistic? It's how do you keep doing it? It's ah. like, really, it's hard to like find, <laughs> find a, a way to balance your life and to, and to have that creative thing still happening. That's that's true. Uh, I mean, I'm extra impressed with people like yourself who keep doing whatever creative thing, but also have like a like a, a family. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that to me is a little bit mind blowing uh, because I, one of my big well, not so secrets how I keep doing art is. I live I live on my own. I have no right, responsibilities right. to anybody but myself. I lead a very mm -hmm. selfish life. That's how I've skinned that cat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that helps. Yeah. I, it was it was interesting to me. My daughter so my daughter is nine now. Mm. And um, I met your daughter once. I came to visit you in, at your house in Cambridge on a visit oh, to Boston. Right. Oh, and she was yeah. very little. She was not nine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. So at that time I was still repairing bicycles at the Broadway Bicycle School. Right. And that, and I I I liked that job a, a lot. Um not because I found that I was not as big of a bike nerd as my co-workers there. They got mm. like really excited about the new season of stuff. Oh, and, yeah. And I, I, I got like a little more annoyed with the, the new season of stuff every year. Um, you mean like the, the new product, like the new yeah, bikes? Yeah, the new products, or yeah, the new bikes or the new like whatever, the new shifting system or whatever. Yeah. I, I was really into kind of the antique technology and like the three-speed well, that right, makes so. all the sense in the world to me, considering the others, your other interests. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and those bikes would come into to that that shop, and we would repair them. Um, but I, I mean, I mostly stayed there for a long time because that I liked my coworkers. It was really good. Mm -hmm. um, it was a really good feeling, and it was sort of run as a collective. It had this kind of uh, left leaning politics. The shop was started by hippies in the yeah. 70s and they you know not, none of the original founders were there anymore but the kind of the guiding principles had remained and it was a cool it's a cool place um, that was in cambridge massachusetts the people's, yeah. the people's republic of exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and it fit well with with playing music because it was slow in the in the winter times it was easy for me to take time off i could go on tour it was a good yeah it was, it was a good it was a good balance and it it was sort of you know it was kind of like not very intellectually stimulating but i found that when i got home in the evening i still had time to kind of work on my own creative projects but but my whole feeling about that changed uh after my daughter was born because i suddenly was doing well, I was already at, at work. I was doing these kind of repetitive tasks of like, you know, like 
change the brake pads, mm-hmm. install the new chain over and over again. And then I would get home and it would be like change the diapers and yeah. then like feed the baby. And it was like really, it was really mind numbing. Um, she was like another bicycle that had come in for repairs. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it was it was an exciting uh, addition to my life, but but also what I what I found what it exposed for me is that kind of the 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 balance of your life is is held by a, a network of held intention by a network of different elements at, at any given time. And when one thing in your life shifts, mm-hmm. then that, that, that changes, that can change your feeling about, about everything. And I thought that that was, that was interesting. So what I, what I found was I ha- had been quite content at this job repairing bicycles. And now I was bored. I was wishing that I, because I, I, I didn't have the energy at home anymore to do yeah. these kind of creative things at when she was, you know, when she was a baby for sure. And, and uh, and so it made me want to have a uh, some job that stimulated my my brain more a, a more mm-hmm. a more creative job or a more intellectually stimulating job. So is that is that when you started uh, trying to get teaching jobs or? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a thought. It was just a straight thought you had. <laughs> Yeah, it was a straight thought. I mean, so, I, yeah. Just... Let's get the. I'll try to get a timeline, get organized. So, 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 like, what years are we talking about now? If she's nine now, she's nine. She was born in two thousand thirteen. Okay, so like say, so from then to so yeah, twenty fifteen or, and you yeah, were still so I, still in Boston, still in Cambridge. Yeah, so yeah. I, I guess I, I, yeah, I kept working. I kept working at the sh- shop for a while, but it was sort of like not as fulfilling and i was kind of tapering down my hours and spending more time but then um eventually uh you know my my wife got this this job she's she was teaching at mit and then she got this Mm -hmm. job teaching out here in in boulder at cu boulder so we moved out in 2017 so yeah I think our daughter was just turning four then. And, and that was, um, so I had like a, probably a, I don't know, six months or so of, of me just attending to the move and the mm-hmm. house and driving the truck and packing all this stuff. Cause they, they flew out here and I, and, mm-hmm. and kind of, I, I had to do a lot of this, a lot of the, the grunt work. I don't know, but, um, yeah that that was my job for a while was just helping the family move right and then we got out here and then i was a temp for a little while that was kind of wild um like an office like an office temp or no what kind of temp? No. well we got we got here and then and then um i had a tour coming up with with talia with e uh-huh. and um what year did what year did e start he started around to. It started a little before Yvette was born, so probably t- 2013. Oh, that early, okay. Late 2012, yeah, yeah. So you had um, a tour, and and then what? Yeah, we had a tour coming up that in like that June of 2018, and so I couldn't really. 
it, it's tough to like find a job when you're like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be gone for June. I'm going to Europe for a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't, I couldn't really get any, anything solid. Um, so I just uh, registered with a temp agency. Mm-hmm. So they sent me to, uh, a factory. Mm-hmm. There's a, uh, a company, um, in a boulder based company called night eyes that makes like little flashlights and carabiners and things oh okay um so i was working in their factory but they actually had been hired by the otterbox company which makes these cell phone covers oh and they had the new han solo line of cell phone covers that just come (laughs) in and they'd bet they'd arrived from uh china in like cases of 24 like cardboard boxes of 24 mm-hmm. but walmart said we want that product but we wanted it in boxes of four so they hired us there were like 12 temps mm-hmm. for six weeks or something and our job was to cut open these these boxes yeah of otter boxes and take out four boxes from the box of 24 and put them in a smaller box of four and push it through a tape boxing machine and Mm. then put it on a pallet and stack it up so it it was like a a totally absurd absurd job but what was interesting is that we worked in pairs because we were Mm -hmm. working the machine and putting the boxes on the pallet and we and we'd work with in it with a different person each day so there's like a dozen temps Mm. and and i and that at that point i was like wow i moved to a purple state i am someplace these are not people that i ever would have met in cambridge massachusetts it was yeah. like such a weird cross-section of um of just yeah like really really diverse people you know so what, like, what, and you found this out because you were able to talk to your co- your yeah, partner yeah, you during ch- the you, thing yeah you chat with these people for like uh-huh. an eight hour shift yeah. and you kind of really get to know know them um yeah there, so there was like um there's like uh the let's see let's see if i can remember some of the people i worked with there there were these these like almost archetypical people there was the 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 gay vegan kid mm-hmm. um there was the um aging chess champion turned conspiracy theorist Mm. um (laughs) there is the the young woman who owned she had like i forget like six or eight pit bulls or something like a Mm. crazy number of pit bulls um there's the kind of the the gothy girl who is into like anime and stuff and 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 there's this this one guy who like he he seemed like the the one guy that seemed sort of like normal to me like i could mm-hmm. not not that these other people were abnormal but this guy was like i felt like i could relate to him yeah um because he's about my age and, and i think he normally did something kind of in the tech sector i, I don't really know but mm-hmm. but he he played guitar he was kind of like into classic rock that's not necessarily what i'm into but I, i'm you know moderately conversant in it so we can yeah. talk about that um but then you can um, really pick apart that one rush solo or something right yeah <laughs> but then at, 
at one point he was talking, he was talking to somebody else and, and I overheard him to say, you, you really think that we came from monkeys? And I realized mm. that he was like a, um, you know, like a creationist. Mm. And, I, and I was just like, wow, this is amazing. I'm in such a different, different place. It was really, it was really eye opening for me. And it was actually like, I'm actually grateful. It was like a, such an interesting um, introduction to Colorado because yeah, in when you're in, I mean, for me in in Boston, all all those years, you sort of like, you you get these news reports of red states that yeah. you you know you read you read about it in the New York Times or you hear about it in NPR, and you're just like, what are they thinking? Like these people are totally nuts, but then. Then you you know you work in an eight hour shift with these yep. pers this person and it's like oh this is like a totally normal guy and and like a total he seems like totally reasonable and has he's not like like he doesn't seem crazy he just yeah. has he just has like the information he has it comes from a wildly different source than the information I have yeah and, and yeah and, and so he his belief structure is is different but. But that's okay. That doesn't make him bad or crazy or, yeah. So, I, yeah, it was interesting. So guess, it, it yeah. broadened broadened your horizons mm -hmm. in some way, yeah, mm -hmm. which is good. Yeah, I mean it that we did. Yeah, I think a little bit like that. Although, yeah, happened to me. I mean, right after I got out of art school, I moved back to Boston and I started driving a cab, and right. I was introduced to a Boston I had no idea about you know, and right. people that yeah. I, I would never have otherwise met. So I probably, I interacted with my share of what would later become, you know, be classified as red state people right? in that job and subsequent jobs, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. Certain kinds of service industry jobs like that expose you to people that are not like you <laughs> Yeah. on a regular yeah. basis. Yeah. I, I find that very, I found that very valuable. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 e it's too easy to kind of like uh, vilify them or other them yeah. when you never meet them. Yeah, and and then when you meet them, you're just they're, they're, then you can the vilify part, them okay. with a from a more <laughs> informed point of view. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you did that. So you 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 uh, repackaged the Han Solo otter boxes. Yeah. And then you went out. And then when you went to Europe right after that yeah. to tour yeah. with E. Yeah. <laughs> that that was it and, yeah and then i then i came back and then i had a job for a while as a hotel handyman mm. um yeah that was that was okay i mean that kept me a little bit interested i learned about um those those locks that that use like a uh um a card to open you know oh yeah in hotels door. right they have those yeah. instead of keys they they just have the yeah. cards right yeah. yeah i i i mean i guess it solves the problem of like the ho hotel guest not returning the key right because they reprogram them all right the, yeah you can just it doesn't matter you just throw it away they have like boxes of those little plastic cards but from my perspective as a handyman always changing the batteries in those doors mm. just seemed like a total pain i mean the the how old is the like technology of 
the lock and the key. Like it really didn't. I don't think it needed an improvement. It's not an improvement to make. Yeah, it the lock tech. and key technology would be what, like a thousand years old or more, yeah, maybe. I least, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably a couple thousand years old. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a handyman for a while, and then I and then uh, I got a job at, at CU, um, which I I still have. I'm the um, the studio technician for the painting area, mm. which means I kind of like fix the easels and yeah book the figure models oh okay it's a pretty chill job um uh but then that got me hanging out at at cu and then then so i sort of identified myself to some department chairs and said hey you know i've got an mfa i could probably teach if you needed me to teach something and and then so i started doing some adjuncting and then that that led to now i'm a a half-time i'm half-time staff in this 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 painting job and i'm half-time instructor in this uh in the department of critical media practices oh so yeah i'm i'm I'm, I'm a like a legit professor now congratulations yeah thanks yeah i yeah i I never yeah i never finished grad school i went for one semester and quit uh because Mm -hmm. i realized i didn't want to teach and i didn't want to be in school and i went back to driving a cab (laughs) and i've still to this day never had a salary job um but i did now it's now two years ago in the middle of covid lockdown uh teach a couple of drawing classes at a local university Oh, nice. Because they needed, because the guy that was teaching them, who was also the head of the art department in the small uh, Jesuit university, uh, went down with an injury, mm-hmm. like an arm injury. And he's like sort of nearing retirement and decided that was his sort of like uh, excuse to start his summer vacation, you know, a, a semester before summer started. And they they quickly they really on very short notice needed somebody to cover his two classes. Yeah. And, and my buddy from art school just called me up and asked me if I wanted to do it. I've never I'd never taught a college class before, and I don't have a grad degree, but you know I've been drawing and painting for yeah. for, forty fucking forty plus fucking <laughs> years. You know. Yeah. And it was it was remarkably simple <laughs> that job. It was did not you enjoy it. Did, did you like sort of interacting with the students and all of that? Uh, there was parts that were good. I mean, I was locked into a, into a syllabus and a sort of like, you know, there was a, a thing that I had to follow, especially in the uh, I had a beginning drawing class. Uh-huh. And this is not at a school where there's there's probably a couple of art majors. Mm-hmm. It's a place where most people are going into it. It's a pre at this point, a predominantly uh, Hispanic or Latino kind of population going into either hospitality or healthcare fields, and this is these were elective classes, you know. Right. And right. but uh, so there was not many. There's a few people that were really into art or had knew something about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but especially in the the beginning class, uh, the the guy that had formulated this curriculum was very rigidly kind of going week for, you know, one week we had to do, you know, 
one point perspective than two point perspective. Right. right. And, you know, uh, uh, these uh, still life setups of, you know, uh, you know, you know, uh, spheres and cubes and all that, which is not actually not a way I ever learned. Mm -hmm. I, I never, ever. So I had to kind of reverse engineer this thing. And I ended up sort of kind of half telling them that some of these things like, you know, uh, this uh, kind of Renaissance kind of perspective thing is, is an idea, one idea among many of how to see the the world. And it's not really like the law. (laughs) Right. So yeah. kind of saying out of one side of my mouth, like giving them out these sheets and telling them like, but this is actually kind of bullshit. Right. <laughs> so there was, right. there was, there was quickly problems, but it was, you know, it, it was a couple of times a week. It was not a huge part of my life. Uh, the mm-hmm. other class was a, a life drawing class, which in COVID lockdown time was very challenging because we were all masked and the, nude model was behind a giant what uh, basically it was a giant sneeze guard you know oh, wow this is how they solved for right whatever transmission of this thing that you know nobody knew anything about really uh right. but they were so desperate to have in-person classes at least in the art department because they were so yeah. scared of being closed going out of business like so many of these places are and right. with good reason <laughs> Uh, yeah. so it was, there was that tense, there was that, that extra added tension mm-hmm. and also being thrown into a thing that I was not, you know, really prepared for, but yeah, there was, there was good moments in it. What, what, what I came away from it thinking was that, well, this is not, there's not any mystery or like anything. <laughs> it's not really a big deal. Right. <laughs> it's just another job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you, so you've been teaching for how long now? There, three, three, four years. You uh, said, yeah, or? but I guess about four years. Yeah, yeah. And you enjoy it? Yeah, it's getting it's getting better. Um, I mean, it used to like really stress me out. Um, like all the bureaucracy and stuff, or no? Um, I guess it's you know I take it as like. Uh, um, uh, a performance in a way. So I would get sort mm-hmm. of like anxious, like uh, oh. stage fright. Um, and in, in the department where I teach, it's, it's actually really nice. We get to, you know, I get to kind of like make my own syllabus. We have these course descriptions that are mm. written with a great deal of intentional vagueness so that the various instructors, if they get tapped to teach this course, they can kind of modify it and, and teach to their own strengths that's kind of um, that place is kind of like a hippie school right if, if or like no. Had a, no uh or, or am i thinking of another one in in colorado that has some we, kind of reputation for yeah we're like one mile from naropa oh yeah you're near naropa right yeah okay. naropa N- is naropa, here yeah. yeah yeah okay um naropa it is allegedly the birthplace of the mindfulness movement mm. Right. Um, uh, but but this is this is um, CU Boulder is like uh, it's thirty thousand students. It's a big state school. Mm-hmm. The, there's 
Uh, a lot of out of state students that are mostly kind of like rich kids that are here to go skiing. Mm. It's and, like a long, it's a vacation. Yeah. 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 And then there's some, a bunch of in-state students that are, you know, pretty, pretty good and pretty committed students. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, did, I don't know if I'm remembering this right. Did Stan Brackage teach there at some point? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the place. So there is yeah. like this kind of tradition of out there kind of. Yeah. Yeah. He thinking he, it, and it's, it's still sort of a noted, uh, the cinema studies department is still noted and in fact my wife is now she's partly appointed in the cinema studies department she's the now the director of the brackage center ah what's her so i forget uh remind me what's her field uh i mean or at least well what was her field I, yeah uh <laughs> she she took a funny sort of uh um um turn when she came out out here academically because she she's has a phd in uh the history of science mm. and, and she wrote a book about um the history of camouflage as a military technology and how it sort of co-evolved with um surveillance technologies you know ph photographic mm. surveillance technologies um so it's it's actually a really the her 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 book is called Hide and Seek and it's and it's mm. a really interesting book. So it's it's like um uh this will come around to answering your question eventually, but that's okay. It. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't you don't even have to answer it, you can totally <laughs> pivot to something else. Like I was saying, so, there's no no agenda here. <laughs> so the 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 word camouflage was coined in, in World War One. Mm. which was the first war where people had to suddenly become concerned about like, oh, there could be uh, surveillance or even cameras overhead. Uh, and they had to like figure out how to hide cannons and tanks and things from, from enemy forces from mm. all these like new kinds of surveillance. So they, um, they in England, they created a, a special, like a special core uh, these camouflers, they were called these, these original people who were dedicated to figuring out how to ha hide military equipment. And of course, the people that they got that they tapped to, to be part of this team, they were all like painters and set mm. designers and yeah. people from the arts. Um, so there's this really interesting uh, intertwining of, of military and artistic history that happens when you kind of follow the thread of mm. the idea of camouflage through the last hundred years. So she write, wrote this book and it was published by Zone Books and, and then um, it, it, it was well received and she had sort of these readers who were, you know, military historians, but also a lot of, a lot of like artist people became mm -hmm. very, very interested in the book. And and she herself is a is a sort of an artist person. She's always had this kind of um, multidisciplinary research approach, where she's kind of like she'll she'll do interviews and make kind of experimental documentaries, and then that kind of becomes mm. source material for a, a book or an article or something. So so she's she's kind of a an, an interdisciplinary academic person. So that that led to her 
uh, getting this this job that where she's she's jointly appointed in the art department and in the cinema studies department out out here, mm. um, which is sort of a, a funny turn from being a, a historian of technology and um, and science, but it it also kind of makes sense when you when you know the whole story and the and the camouflage connection and all of that. Mm. And what has she moved on to? Since what what's she currently into? She's moved away well, from camouflage to yeah. She she published her second book, um, which is called Shoddy, hmm. um, and, and it's a history of uh, recycled wool. So uh. um, the the re- recycling wool is actually one of the oldest industrial recycling processes that was invented in West Yorkshire in the, I forget the 1830s or something. Mm. Um, and that some guy figured out you could take old rags and put them through a grinder and then respin it into new wool. And you mm. could make, they made up this word for it. It's called shoddy cloth. Oh, And, and it was uh, much cheaper, you know, cause you didn't have to grow the sheep and all of that, feed mm. the sheep. It, and so that it was, uh, this amazing new invention and um you know for it it um it ushered in some class mobility for it was the first time a lot of people could afford sort of a sunday suit Mm. um that was made out of this recycled wool and um it was it was it was very important the there was a story of espionage the the patents were sort of the, the designs were stolen and imported to the US mm. and they start they started making shoddy cloth in in places like Lowell Massachusetts that kind of thing and then like during, the old in, the old industrial town yeah, centers exactly yeah. yeah and then during the civil war there was some kind of war profiteering that mm. went on and there's some really poor shoddy uniforms that were made um, so shoddy, it's because it's recycled wool, the strands, the fibers aren't quite as long okay. as as um, what later came to be known as virgin wool. So it's not doesn't wear quite as long. Mm. But the the original shoddy was like pretty well made. But then in the Civil War, it it was terrible, and it was like you know these soldiers were were on the front lines, and their uniforms were just falling apart. And this was this caused a huge scandal. It was, um, you know, in the newspapers, and and that's when the term shoddy took oh, on the uh, meaning to, to mean poor quality. Exactly, exactly. Ah. Um, but but then there, it, she sort of follows the the history of it, and and there's this whole, there's a lot of um, a, a lot of like interesting elements in in her her book. There's sort of like a um, well, there's a backlash from the Wool Growers Association because they, they, they come up with this term virgin wool to distinguish mm-hmm. it from the shoddy wool. And then there's a lot of like trying to discredit the shoddy wool. And there's, there's fear of uh, contamination um, is kind of like on the popular consciousness because it's made from these old rags and you don't sort of know who had it before and it's typically the rags are um collected by uh in major urban centers usually by these jewish rag pickers so Mm. there's this whole like kind of element of 
um, uh, anti-Semitism and um, racial fear that that comes into the story of Shadi. Um, and, and there's there's legislation. It's actually why um, uh, there's there's those like uh, tags on your mattresses now that say like "Do not remove under penalty of law." Mm. Um, it's because they wanted they wanted you to know like either this is recycled material or it's all all fresh material because people were were worried that they were going to get some um, you know there were all, all, all sorts of all sorts of diseases that people did not want to catch in in those days um but yeah so it's it's a, a it's it's another really interesting book that it, it starts with this really kind of simple just this this material this kind of fabric but it yeah. it examines all of these historical and political and judicial um elements that that weave together to form the story that 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 was her last book, and that, and now she's now she's sort of looking at um, mining towns. Now that we're out here in, in Colorado, mm. she's been doing research on mining towns, and um, we go up to uh, we've been up to the town of uh, well, the disincorporated town of Climax. It used to be mm. Climax, Colorado, mm. used to be the the uh, highest settlement in the continental United States. Mm. Um, and I forget it's at like 12,000 feet or something like that. Um, and, and it was a little mining town where they would mine molybdenum. Um, and the, the mine is still in operation there actually, but the, the, the settlement has, um, has disbanded. People don't actually live there Mm. anymore. They, they moved all the houses up the road to Leadville. (laughs) Um, but it, it's interesting, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of interesting history in the in the settlement and the development of of Colorado. Mm. Yeah. Do you guys see that? There's a documentary a few years ago called uh, Dawson City: Frozen Time. No, maybe she's seen it. I it's about seen. a. It's it's about. I mean, it's from Gold Rush times. And it's this town in the Yukon. Oh. Where they found this um, kind of treasure trove of nitrate silent films uh, that were buried because oh, this wow. place this place was so remote that instead of like sending the reels of the movies onto the next thing, they just buried them, hmm. and so that led to a rediscovery of all these th- movies that were thought lost. And the movie right. shows the restored frames from some of these movies. Uh, hmm. But it's sort of the guy that made it. I forget his name, but it you know it's sort of a historical kind of essay film. Yeah, and it traces all these sort of gold process and entrepreneurs and hucksters of various kinds that kind of built America. So there's like one of one of Trump's relations was involved in that, of course. <laughs> yeah, it it all traces back and connects up. You know. Yeah. It's a pretty fascinating movie. Uh, should you might you might be into it? But, yeah, it sounds it sounds it sounds good. I'm gonna I'm gonna look for it. Yeah, um, uh, it came out like yeah in the last five six years. I I would guess I don't know. Uh, so do we, you? We I mean, of, yeah, go we ahead. We watch a lot of a lot of movies. We watch uh, we have movie night. Yeah. Um, 
usually it's usually Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, mm. and we've developed this this family uh, strategy that mm-hmm. goes it goes it goes like this: that our daughter gets to um, make the pose the suggest the the choices on Friday night. Mm. So she she has to come up with two thing two movies that she wants to watch and then mm-hmm. my wife and I get to vote which ones we want to watch and, and then so we each get a we each get a night to 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 pose the choices but but it's uh it's it's kind of an, an interesting um way so it's it's like uh we don't we don't get stuck watching frozen again and again and again because mm. because my would daughter you, never... would she want to do that no, was, I, actually, well, actually, she wouldn't. She wouldn't. She. I mean, there may have been a time a few years ago where yeah. she she would have been more at that yeah stage. But at this point, I mean, she's like been very well exposed to. Um, my my wife taught a, a a course about a year or so ago on on Agnes Varda. So mm. we we went through like almost the whole, and my my dad my daughter watched almost all of them and you know sat there and read the subtitles that's cool as like a seven-year-old yeah yeah (laughs) yeah she's a good a good movie watcher well she she made i mean a lot i've seen a bunch of agnes varda i mean and the vast majority of the things that i remember are fairly accessible approachable i mean i don't know and if you you know in i mean it's not frozen yeah. it's not frozen but no it's also not so esoteric or obtuse as some experimental film you know that which doesn't right. doesn't meet you even a, you know a quarter of the way or whatever yeah yeah but i mean still that some of them are sort of like documentaries in mm-hmm. french with english subtitles which is yeah which is pretty challenging when you're seven, I think. <laughs> yeah. So what was, what was the last movie uh, from movie night that you all like enjoyed or um, is there, is there a disagreement? <laughs> the one that, the one, that, you know, actually we've been, um, we haven't had movie night in a little while. We've been kind of getting into Scrabble lately. Mm. The one that is springing to mind oh. that we watched recently was um, American Pickle. Mm. Do you know? Do you know this movie? Uh, it's a. Is that a Seth Rogen movie? It is a Seth oh, Rogen okay. movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That lasted about five minutes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, <laughs> not a fan of that guy. <laughs> okay, I'd never seen a Seth Rogen movie before. I, <laughs> I, I can't speak to him, but we, we, we enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. American Pickle. And who, yeah. whose choice was that? Uh, that was suggested by Hana. Oh, okay. She found it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, you know, you've, my my daughter gets really into. She is really identifies as Jewish. I I oh. didn't grow up with anything in particular, but my wife is is Jewish, and so we've always sort of like, I, I've always thought it'd be a good idea to kind of like, hmm. um, you know, have some sort of spiritual thing in our in our life so oh, so you so, do the juice stuff huh so we go to we go to like synagogue sometimes and yeah yeah it's funny so, and, and she's my daughter's like in more into it than than my wife she's really like yeah into the idea yeah 
I think that that happens fairly often if the, the like a child like gets really into uh I remember when I was when I was small there there wasn't many other Soviet Jewish immigrants in Brookline right. then uh when I when we came in the late 70s but a couple of my parents friends kids fell into like a deep deep religiosity like for at least a they had a phase you know uh-huh. because they well I mean I when you're a child you want so badly to belong to something and right. when you're ripped out of one context into another one uh it's that's one way to solve that is to dive into this thing that has is really intense and all immersive uh yeah uh, yeah that happened uh i mean yeah my uh my landlords uh in the in this house they're upstairs right now uh She's she grew up uh, in a fairly observant family, and he converted. And they have a, a small they have a five year old daughter, and they do huh. a lot they do a lot of that stuff. Interesting. Whereas I do none of it. You know, yeah. like I'm not, like, I mean, I got sent to Hebrew school, but that that didn't really right. take. Yeah, I I think of myself as an as an atheist, um, mm. but I but I enjoy ritualistic activities, and so you know. It's a, I like going along for the yeah oh and my and we um we we uh bake a challah that's mm. like a that's like our friday do you light the candles like, and everything yeah we light the candles yeah. yeah yeah my mom does that she's been lighting candles forever and ever but uh yeah yeah I, yeah, I don't, yeah that's interesting so in your in when you were growing up there was no kind of religion at all in the house um now let's see. We went to we went to church a, a little bit. My my yeah my my mom was my mom was raised in um, Christian Science, but mm. then did not not join that church. Yeah. My grandmother was a Christian Scientist, and then and then when my parents got divorced, um, so we used to go to I don't know some sort of like a Unitarian something mm-hmm. a little bit, uh, but then when my parents got divorced then my dad remarried and I, how old like were you a, then it was like around the second grade probably oh okay and he, and he uh, yeah that was that was a weird is that weird why time. you ended up in brookline or? uh yeah yeah because my dad was in they were both in wellesley and then my mom moved to to brookline i, ah, moved, okay. I moved with her yeah but then i was like every every other weekend i was with my dad and his new family so i had a a stepbrother and a stepsister for like two years oh wow um yeah and 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 then i didn't when they when my dad divorced his second wife (laughs) (laughs) so but they were they were like that was a more religious family and it was like they were catholic or episcopalian or something like that so i used to every other weekend i would have to go to church mm. and that, that was like a stricter kind of church i really hated it and then yeah. so when i would then i would be back with my mom and she and she would be like well let's not go to church you you had got enough of that over at your dad's house so she stopped making us go and we just and then my dad got divorced again and then i just basically never never went again Oh, you stopped going to his house, or like, or oh no, no, to 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 church, church. yeah, just to church, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would still see my dad for sure, yeah, but but you went to school mostly in Brookline, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Cause, yeah, because yeah, my mom, my mom had custody. It was one of those deals where it was like yeah. every other weekend with my dad and dinners on Wednesday night. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I met you sometime in high school. I don't know how far in, but yeah. and it was. Why did we meet? Uh, I mean, I don't think it was because of the Coolidge. Because I think I started there before you. Uh, but you lasted yeah. there a lot longer than I did. Uh, well, I didn't. I didn't work there until like I was until I think maybe after college. I. Oh, okay. I yeah. So you were there way there. after. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I met you in high school, and there was like weird like literary magazines and other kind of things going on in high school. Oh yeah. We had yeah, some crossover yeah. in. Yeah. There was some sort of like weird like stapled publication. Yeah. <laughs> which i probably have somewhere yeah I... <laughs> yeah 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 we used to put one of those together with um joe joe churchman yeah and i like my buddy yeah yeah i did a portrait of you for one of those i did a drawing oh, there's a drawing yeah. of you somewhere that i don't know oh, if i have i probably have the publication that it's in though because wow. I, I save shit like that but uh yeah, I probably have those in a cardboard box someplace. It might be in the crawl space. I don't. I, I, I mean, I've, I yeah, I've, to save that stuff too, but I haven't looked at it in decades. I found uh, I found the surfing on ether tape. Oh I have, yeah, I have that. So wow. I can I can I can donate it to the Jason Sanford Museum or whatever when that <laughs> when they open that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then yeah, but later. When would this have? There was a time when you were living in Jamaica Plain and you had a loft and there was performance art night. Yeah. When was that? When was performance art night? <laughs> so let's see. Uh, let's you see. would have been out of college probably, or yeah, in college, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would have been out of college because I went to UMass Amherst. Right. And, and then I came back to the the Boston area and it sort of took me, I didn't go straight through. Let's see. So I started in 89 and I probably finished around 94, 94, 95, yeah. somewhere in there. And then, uh, found that loft in, in JP, um, which was the same place where, uh, where Harry, Harry Snyder used to live. Really? It was oh, like in this. Yeah, I mean, I traced yeah. it. It was like the same building, I think. Oh, yeah, wow. because I knew I'd been there. I remember showing up in your loft, and it's like I've been, and I, I had a, this feeling. I, I've been in this building before, huh. and, and they had been. That was the previous generation. They'd gone to like you know the museum school and stuff. Right. Interesting. The older people that worked in the Coolidge in the eighties, who huh. I worked with. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So it was a weird deja vu thing because I went yeah. there because you had like performance art night. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I started performance art night cause I was, you know, there was no, there wasn't really, I was interested in performance art. There wasn't any, really any of it at UMass. Um, Were you mostly doing art at UMass? Yeah. I, I yeah. was a, a BFA. I, I was doing photography and then I wound up with a sculpture degree cause I, Found, I, I don't know. I just thought that was more kind of like all encompassing or spoke more to my, my set of interests, but I was doing some performance already at that point in just, you know, the classes that would had more open-ended policies about the kind of work you could do. Mm. Um, 
and I and I came came back to Boston. I was like, okay, where does performance art happen? And and there was that place, <laughs> Mobius in the South End, and they were like, yeah, well, why don't you like submit an application and we'll get back to you in six months with your mm. proposal? And, and I was like, that's not really what a, how I was imagining things would go. Yeah. Um, how so, did you imagine, like, what did you have in your mind? You'd seen something that was performance art by then? or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd been exposed to a little bit of it. Uh, there, was, there was, I mean, I was certainly aware of, of Laurie Anderson, for sure. Okay, yeah. And, and there was a, um, there was a troupe that came through. It was kind of like from uh, performance art from, um, was it PS122? It was one of those, like, Oh, from New York, art, yeah. Yeah, art spaces in New York that used to be a public school, but now is an art space in PS yeah, something right. something. Um, and they, so they had, there was like a, a show that came through and it was like half a dozen different performance artists put on a, a show. And, they, and it was really varied and, and really interesting. I still remember a lot of it to this day, um, or some of it to this day. Mm -hmm. Um uh so yeah you know and my my uh uncle is a is an art professor also he's a oh. he teaches at, at asu he's a sculptor um and he 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 had gotten his his uh mfa um at uh um UCLA and, mm. and Chris Chris Burden was like one of his oh, okay. teachers. So so I there you know I had some exposure to the ideas around performance art, um, and, and I just thought it was an interesting idea. But then but then I in coming back to Boston I realized that there just wasn't wasn't a scene for it. Mm. You know it wasn't it wasn't like, I, I, uh, you, you couldn't just sort of like become a performance artist <laughs> it didn't, which is wasn't what, that, pay. that's what you wanted to do you wanted it, to just it become gonna pay yeah. the rent yeah yeah <laughs> i mean I, I i don't know i was you know i was i, I was uh I, I was uh i i guess i was like probably all of us but i i, I was naive in my in my 20s and and i just didn't really have an idea about how the how the world worked and how the the relationship between money and the arts and how things got funded and how things happened. And, mm. um, but, but that, that led me to, to begin this performance art night that was basically just like an open mic night, but, yeah. you know, please do something weird. Right. Um, and it was once a month in our loft and, and it would, uh, and we did that for like four years, I think. Um, yeah. What year would that be like the mid nineties? Early yeah, night? so yeah. that 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 would be yeah, like like ninety four to ninety eight maybe yeah something like that yeah right yeah that sounds about right. Um. And, and so so. Um, at the same time, I I would have been starting Neptune, mm -hmm. and and pursuing that. Um. Because uh yeah so surfing on ether surfing on ether did didn't have those welded instruments did it no, it didn't no, i didn't think no. so yeah that was like a band that was like i think i took like a year off and came back to oh from uh, from uh, from, from uh, yeah. college yeah yeah and 
you know, I was like, uh, I might have during that year, actually, I think during that year, I took a continuing education class at Brookline High School. Oh, wow. Um, in, <laughs> the, in the metal shop so I could get access to machines. And that's when I finished my first guitar, which I had begun at, at UMass. Oh, okay. It took, it took a really long time to kind of figure out how to finish the, the first one. Um, so, so yeah. Was, so, was Surfing on Ether your first band? Or did yeah. you have any other? Yeah, yeah. It was it was the first band that ever like played a show or something. I, I had yeah. um, you know I'd, I I was good friends with with Adam Scotto, and so we we had played a lot of music in high school, but we never mm -hmm. really. It was just in his in his house. Yeah, we never really did anything. So Surfing on Ether was the first attempt at a band, and I was trying to. I was you know I had made like a Super Eight film, and we did a live soundtrack for it. I think we've performed once at mass art or something mm. so it was trying to make it kind of a an integrated art project also but then it was of of course as happens in in your 20s the other person the person playing bass was was the person that i was dating at the time so that you know didn't didn't last forever that combusted yeah that's <laughs> that that's what one of the fallback ways that bands break up it's a, yeah, like the exactly. couple within the band breaks yeah. up and yeah. then it's over <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so how lo how long after the the tragic demise of surfing on ether did uh, neptune begin well so then i then <laughs> i went that was so that was in like my year away from UMass and I was taking taking some classes I took a, a class at Mass Art and I took a class at uh, um, UMass Boston but I was away from UMass Amherst mm -hmm. for for a year um, and then and then I went back to fit to my 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 final year my senior year at uh, UMass Amherst and and at that point I, I was like okay this this welded steel guitar thing it's kind of like stupid and kind of obvious but also it's like kind of a good idea and 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 fun to do and i'm learning a lot while i'm doing it yeah. and it seems to like incorporate a lot of my interests so i made i made several more of those and um during my my senior year and and that was kind of you know my my bfa thesis project mm -hmm. and then i moved back to boston at which point I started working at the Coolidge. Well, that's when you started at the Coolidge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So and, yeah, you you were way later than me at the Coolidge. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I mostly worked at the Coolidge in high school. I would right. fill in every now and then when I come back from Chicago, but right. I never worked there for an extended time after the after the eighties. Yeah. Right. Right. But you were yeah you worked <laughs> with my brother. That's that's what I happened. did. Yeah. I, yeah. You worked yeah. with Boris. Uh, yeah. How's your brother doing? Uh, Boris? Uh, yeah. You don't have to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. I, I see. I see him every now and then. Not much. He lives in uh, Western Massachusetts now. Uh, he's okay. he's teaching school. He's got a house oh. uh, in Western Mass in the woods, basically. Uh, he's been a teacher for a while, like an elementary school teacher. That sounds like a good a good fit for him. It is, yeah. I, th I think he f it took him a long time to find that yeah. profession, but I think it suits him very well. Yeah. Uh, 
That's nice. And then, yeah, I have my other much younger brother, Max, who lives in California and uh, who was born when I was a senior in high school. Oh. I don't know if you remember that, but like Gosh. he was a, he would have been a baby when like. Right. OK. I actually took him to my to to Miss Sen's uh, advanced art class as like like a show and tell, basically, because he was like <laughs> he was like three months old. And I my parents had just moved up up the hill from the high school to the house they still live in now in Washington <laughs> Square. And I took him in the in the stroller to the art class to show him to the wow. other weird art kids, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And now wow. he's <laughs> now he is shit, how old is he? Oh uh, fuck. Uh he's about to turn thirty four. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh which, you know, my my joke being that, you know, his being born then kind of absolved me of the responsibility of having a child because he's young enough to be my child, basically. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's uh, true. He's eighteen years younger, more than eighteen years younger than me. Wow. Same parents. He's an oops baby. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, my parents kind of like brought me and Boris into like the room, like in the summer, like before I was a senior in high school, and asked us if we wanted another sibling. And like, <laughs> like whatever, okay. And so they went through with the pregnancy, you know. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's nice. Do you visit? Do you visit him ever? Yeah, yeah. I've been out, I've been out there a few a few times. They just uh, uh, he got married a few years ago, and they just bought their first house, and they live in Redondo Beach now, hmm. because his wife isn't. She works in aquariums. She's an I guess she's an oceanographer. I don't know. She works in aquariums, but she just she got a job at the Long Beach Aquarium. Oh, nice. So they, but they've been they met in college at UC Santa Barbara. Uh, uh huh. Yeah. So yeah, I I've I've been out there a few times. Uh, I mean, me and Boris took him to look at colleges we like rented a car and he oh, was right. he was hell-bent on california for some reason and he's been uh -huh. he's lived in california a long time now i mean over 10 Wait, years 15 years i don't know wow yeah i'm just trying to visualize the the samaroff brothers driving around in california it's hard to do it was it's weird hard to visualize. they fucking they it, they they chose I didn't choose this car. It was a convertible. And that's where I realized that a convertible is a fucking miserable experience. Because it's just like you just have wind in your fucking face. You can't hear anything. Like you get sunburned. It's just, it's horrendous. I don't know who invented that, but they, they should be taken out back and shot. That's that's a, like a convertible car is a really bad idea. Unless you're going soup like you're in a dune buggy or something. Right. Like going on a highway in a convertible is fucking ridiculous. It's an unpleasant experience. <laughs> right. yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we went, uh, we started at like uh, USC and UCLA and went north uh, up to UC Berkeley. Hit, we went to four or five colleges mm -hmm. with him and he chose uh, UC Santa Barbara. Yeah, it's very, very different, uh, you know, landscape and experience than anything yeah. I've been exposed to yeah. in most of my life. Yeah. 
But I mean, it seems like since you were born in California, I mean, maybe the West was calling you the entire time, and it was just a matter of time till you ended back, ended back well, west. <laughs> actually, my my uh, grandparents are from Colorado. Oh wow! See, it was yeah. your destiny. Yeah, <laughs> it, it does. It does have a strange Genet genetic biographical destiny to, to end up where you ended up. My. <laughs> My great grandfather came from Sweden and he settled in Telluride and he did quite well running the store uh, up at the old Tomboy Mine. And he had a lot of money saved in the bank until in 1889, Butch Cassidy robbed that bank. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so he's at least, uh, whatever, an astro a footnote or yeah. a, a victim in. in American yeah. lore or history. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, fun. He, he he recovered a bit. I mean, he he, he wasn't broke after that. He recovered because mm -hmm. uh, he was, a, I guess, a reasonable businessman. But but yeah, it was you know, eighteen eighty nine. It was before the days that banks were federally insured. So if a bank robber robbed, right? It, so the money was just gone. The money's gone. Yeah. If the money's gone, yeah. Huh. Yeah. I went to the um, 1989 historical reenactment of the robbery mm. at what was originally the bank, but I don't know what it is now. In 1989, it was a t-shirt shop. Oh, in, so in, Tellur a, in Telluride? In Telluride, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So I, so I had a t-shirt that was like a reproduction of the original wanted poster for butch cassidy who does not he he does not look anything like uh who, who played butch cassidy was it robert redford or or was <laughs> no, it no. uh paul newman it's like some, paul, New paul newman yeah like one right. of those pretty boy guys yeah, yeah. yeah. okay <laughs> yeah people people in real life are a lot uglier than the movie stars yeah. make them out to look <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. but that's you know that's the myth and magic of hollywood that's that that's what we love it for yeah uh oh that's funny yeah so so let's see so when did uh when did neptune official when did it begin oh when right so I, I i got back to boston having finished college and i had you know several guitars and i was like hey i should do a a performance with these that's how i was framing it in my mind i'm gonna do a performance yeah with these um and so i got some you know mostly people that were like working at the coolidge or whatever um uh to to help me out but they turned out to be like pretty musical people and we had some songs and then who's that guy greg it was yeah, it greg who yeah, worked greg, there gregory gregory kenny yeah 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 so he was sort of like lead guitarist yeah um uh, and uh yeah yeah and where was that first performance? Was it in? Oh, it was just a, ba your... a basement in Austin. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But it it led very quickly to more shows. Um, you know, so we soon were playing at the Middle East or whatever, and and it it turned into it turned into a real band. I had imposter syndrome because I was sort of like thinking of it as this like I'm doing a performance art project with these sculptures mm -hmm. that I made as a rock band. Yeah. And, and but 
you know, we're playing these shows with like actual musicians and, but I don't know. I, I had imposter syndrome for a long time, but eventually just went away. I mean, that's like, you know, 12 albums ago. <laughs> which, which album did the imposter syndrome fade for good? Would you say? <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I mean, I, I guess I, that's a good question. That's a good question. Yeah, I just sort of like um, accepted myself as, uh, you know, kind of a, a, I guess I'm sort of an outsider musician. You know, I have like basically no formal musical training. Yeah. Um, so. But I mean, yeah. that's that's probably true of a lot of people in rock bands, even a lot more yeah. traditional rock bands than yours. Right? Yeah, that they don't have musical training. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's that they true. learn by just listening to, try right. to, imitate the records they liked or whatever. Right. I mean, I I did one of these with uh, Tom Shannon from Cheater Slicks, oh, and right. and he who I'm, I've be, kind of over the years become pretty good friends with, but who are still going they're in columbus they, yeah. they're still going they just put out a new record just like this week wow uh, that's great on on in the red yeah i just got my copy today but he was telling me how they so it's you know it's it's tom and dave their brothers and they tune their guitars to each other they're mm -hmm. not tuned to any like tuning that that anybody would understand except them, but they've played with each other for so long. Right. That they just tune to each other. Right. And so it's not, it can't be replicated. They don't, they right. don't know. He doesn't know what tuning they play in. You know? Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so there's that way of doing it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's pretty common for rock, band people not to be able to read music for say you know yeah that's probably more can't than can you know mm -hmm. uh, yeah so maybe i mean maybe you're not as much of a an, a fake or imposter musician as, <laughs> as you think and then i mean and then then you end up in another band with these two people that have very rich history and you know yeah in bands how did that happen how did e happen it was just talia had been a neptune fan i guess and she just i think i you know i'd known her from around for years and just from cambridge yeah yeah i mean well she lives in alston but um you know just from the scene uh -huh. um and i think I, I forget exactly where we were but i think we were at a barbecue or something i don't really remember but she just said hey want to play music sometime and I said, I said, sure. Um, so we started, we started playing. There was a different, different drummer at mm. first, and then we got Gavin. And Gavin's not playing with us any, anymore. He couldn't do the last tour, so we got a, our friend Ernie Kim to do the last tour. Oh, oh, you got a different drummer now? Yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, Gavin's on the most recent record. Yeah, but he could, he just couldn't do the the tour because of family stuff. Uh. Um, he took, he couldn't go away for a month. His 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 boys are, uh, they're I don't know like, ten and thirteen or something like that. Oh. He, he just needed to be around for them. Yeah. Um. 
but he's he's been playing with with karate again i know i i I had a i had a table at the uh this like art craft fair within the pitchfork music festival and i got to i didn't get to see them but i i heard them a little bit from one of the stages yeah because numero's reissuing all the karate stuff oh great yeah 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 i mean that seems great for him because because they're able to do these kind of like just um i don't know if they do one-offs but they'll do it like a short like a one-week tour of italy or something and and that and that's um e can't can't really quite do that like it takes us like two two and a half weeks to kind of like hit the break-even point in in europe yeah where we're like covering our rentals and our Mm -hmm. tickets and everything so it doesn't doesn't make sense for us to go for less than three weeks really it's better when we go for four or something like that then we get to come home with a little bit of money yeah 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 we're at like a weird level of like the economic reality of it kind of of like just barely making sense but (laughs) i mean it's i mean now i know is a bizarre time for musicians and on a lot of levels but i'm friends with a lot of musicians here but i just talking to my friend tim uh tim kinsella who used to be in in a band called joan of arc and he's he's now got this band with his wife and he's telling me was just telling me like last week how like all these bigger bands are now playing smaller venues and making it kind of impossible for Uh, the bands that are were used to those venues to book them uh uh-huh like that there's a shrinking or like downsizing kind of thing interesting that's what he was having difficulties with for booking a tour you know interesting yeah it's a weird new and then of course because of covid like all the records and everything are backed up like two years so like all the right. record pl- pressing plants are all way backed right. up yeah so now everybody's putting out cassettes again and fucking cds <laughs> right right yeah yeah it's, it's it's bizarro i i never i never knew Talia, I mean, like, you know, I was a fan of hers for like for a million years since the 80s, you know, right. And, and found yeah. it kind of intimidating to even approach her until more recently. Yeah. But I'm yeah, she's I made great. She's she's so friendly. Yeah. She's like the most real person you could ever want to meet. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But that's yeah. that's that thing of, you know, when you're like young you don't really know that the people on stage are actual people right yeah that you can know yeah and i mean i mean i made friends with chris you know with brokaw over mm-hmm. the years that for some reason was easier mm-hmm. I, I don't know but like it took me longer to to talk to her yeah it was nice when i did <laughs> yeah yeah well i started um, I changed my tuning when I when I started playing with her because I was like, okay, I gotta. Oh really? I gotta meet her halfway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I just I play in a much more standard standard tuning in E than I do in in Neptune. Right. Yeah. And it, I mean, is it? It's got. I mean, it's gotta be pretty. Re- you must enjoy it, right? It's like a. Oh yeah. Right, scratches a different kind of itch or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, the, I mean, Neptune. I sort of like. Uh, well, we're we're gonna play some shows in in June with one of the lineups with with uh, Mark and Dan. We're doing a little East Coast tour, but we cool. it's gonna be the first Neptune shows in like a decade. Mm. Um, but I did. I had sort of like reached a um, an impasse with that. I felt I kind of like reached. Well, I I, I had hit another one of those points where like everybody's moving away or that you know it's clear that the lineup would have to change again but i also it, it had been getting sort of like increasingly experimental mm. o- over the years and and uh you know i wanted to keep pushing that but i just didn't know where to go i felt sort of like i had hit a wall yeah with it um so it, it, that in that way it was nice to play with Talia and be just like okay we're just gonna like play some music and it's not it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to sound like it's totally from another planet or like yeah. really way out it's just gonna be mu- this music that we're gonna play and wh- where did the where did the name come from like you wanted to have the name of a band that's completely unsearchable on the internet was that the goal <laughs> <laughs> yeah that lends us that lends us street credibility yeah we had um we're, we had started playing and kind of coming up with some basic songs and and we we they they're pretty much all in the key of e uh-huh. and then i built the um the the this pedal this like low pedal we were talking about should we get a bass player and mm-hmm. and i thought no it was kind of cool without but i wanted to fill yeah. in the low end so i built this that thing that's kind of like this pedal i stomp on but it's got a um it's got a hacksaw blade in mm. inside of it that's and that's in front of a humbucker pickup and so that's just tuned to a low e so if i stomp on it there's like this really sub low e uh, comes comes into the song and like fills up all of this low end <laughs> space. Yeah, that kind of kind of like occupies the realm of what a bass player would do, but just like really, uh, you know, minimal minimally, but also it's it's like a big sound. Um, so that that so we're we were really working heavily with this idea of the note E, mm. um, and then and then I guess Tolly at some point said. I think she was just joking. She said, we should just call ourselves E. And I was like, I love that. That's, that's yeah. great. <laughs> that, that, that like art school performance art light went on and said, yeah, he said, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I loved it for, I mean, for the reasons I just explained, but also that it's like such a, it's like such an overused letter in the times of like email and e everything, oh, yeah. e-cigarettes whatever it just it, it just seemed like such an overburdened <laughs> signifier as a letter uh, that it was it was like empty again <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my feeling about it yeah <laughs> and and now you're stuck with it <laughs> now i'm stuck with it yeah <laughs> That's like, yeah, I, I don't remember who I heard, uh, was listening to or reading an interview with some like aging punk band or something that came up with some stupid name when they were teenagers. And now mm-hmm. it's like 20 years later or whatever. Right. Yeah. And they can't, it's, they can't change it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> because it's a known, it's a, like a known quantity. It's an entity that people are aware of and they, yeah. they don't like the name, but there's just no, 
That's tough. <laughs> That's tough. I I remember when we were naming Neptune. I still like the name the name Neptune for a band, but I remember like the list of names and thinking about it and like almost almost going with Lugnet. <laughs> <laughs> And just looking back, like, oh wow, I really dodged a bullet with that one. That was yeah, that that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, Lugnut would not have been. <laughs> yeah, it would be like a like a joke jam band or something kind of name. Yeah. But I mean, at, at yeah, at that at that point, it was like I was just like thinking of it as this performance. I was right because be you once. didn't know it was yeah. going to be an, a real band. Yeah, yeah, and and maybe it would have been just a. A, a joke performance if I had named it that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, names, names do matter. Yeah. <laughs> so what's yeah. the, uh, what's the, is there like, a, are you engaged in any sort of music scene locally in, in uh, Boulder? There's a few, a couple of kind of interesting experimental musicians, uh, on on campus you know there's like a couple of professors that are that do some interesting work um you know not that i really play music with them but there are like people i can speak with at least mm. boulder itself is mostly um it's either like edm or bluegrass or jam bands yeah. uh you know dead grateful dead style jam bands so there's there's not much of interest to me actually one of my couple of my um former students just like put on i think last semester put on a, a punk rock show in boulder yeah and i'm like yeah finally something something's going on yeah but yeah most of the kind of like what i would consider interesting musical culture i'd have to travel to denver which is not that far you know it's like 40 minutes oh okay drive but that's that's hard to do when you have a kid and everything so i, I don't get out that much to, to see interesting music. Um, but there, yeah, there's a, a couple, there's like a graduate student who does some interesting music, um, who I, I played some music with him mm. a couple times. We may do some, a little more. I mean, do you feel like in your, in your teaching job, does that engage any of the stuff that, you know, like the, Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Music and art kind of stuff that you're into. Yeah 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 i get to sort of like expose my students to a lot of weird music and mm. and um uh yeah and that 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 feels that feels good to kind of like um shake them out of their uh yeah shake them out of their i don't know i don't know if i shake them out but at least expose them <laughs> I've, I've come to think of teaching as like um um like uh you know like when 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 the soil is totally dry you mm -hmm. can't it won't take water uh -huh. so you, you have to kind of like water it a little bit and then come back and water it a little bit more that's, uh. that's kind of like one of my pedagogical theories is like you just kind of just keep exposing them and they they may they may just sort of like look at you with like a um a befuddled expression and not seem to be getting anything you're saying but it, it you know who knows it might come back to them i certainly think back to like stuff that my professors did or said 30 years ago and like yeah i probably didn't 
didn't it didn't click with me then but but i appreciate it in different ways now i used a thing in a i put out i put out this book last year basically about uh, a fictionalized account of some of my adventures in the art world uh-huh. there's this phrase that my figure painting professor from the art institute said once uh about like he came up and he was looking at the the painting or i was working on and saying something like, like about like you don't want your painting to be the ramones right or something like that <laughs> and it stuck in my head because it was like i do actually like <laughs> i do want it to be the ramones but <laughs> so i used it you know all these like 30 years later it's stuck in my head you know <laughs> like what the fuck did oh weirdo mean (laughs) why is that a bad thing like would you rather have your painting be a fucking symphony i I guess that's what he meant i don't know (laughs) that's painting a a, a naked woman on a pet sitting on a chair (laughs) you know right (laughs) but uh, you know i would have going home or whatever i would have been listening to the ramones or you know husker do or something you know so yeah, I did <laughs> want it to be the Ramones in some way, yeah. you know. <laughs> but yeah, people. So somewhere down the line, some former student of yours will have some phrase you said, like offhand, stuck in their head for twenty, thirty years. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you know, and and use it for something. Yeah, yeah, that's the hope. Yeah. So when I mean, like when you were a kid or when you were growing up, like, did you imagine? any part of like the life you're living now? Like what was, did you have like a childhood dream that like to be an artist or to be a a rock star or whatever? Um, I mean, I didn't start playing music until I was 16. I got a guitar and only then because Adam Scotto was a drummer and he said, Hey, you should take up an instrument. Then we could jam. Yeah. And And I was like, yeah, cool. Good idea. Um, but but at that point then i then i began to like think about this this musician idea uh-huh. i mean and i thought it would be cool i i didn't really you so know, you were was, already in high school then or, yeah i was already yeah. in high school yeah yeah um and it's it's led to a lot of good stuff i mean it's 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 been a great way to travel it's a really amazing way to travel to get to go to these different cities in europe and you sort of you immediately you meet the people that it would have taken you six months to meet if you had just arrived in any other way but because you're you're there sharing your music or your art then you're mm. immediately meeting the people you would want to meet it's kind of it's fantastic huh well that's interesting yeah yeah i would have never yeah. thought of that but yeah, make, it's, I mean, it's it's really sense. different than than just going as a tourist and like you know having to stay in a hotel and kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, right. I you're like traveling in that way. Yeah, you're you're talking about it from the point of view of somebody who likes to travel, which which I'm not. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but for for weird, you know, for autobiographical reasons, but uh, right. Because of, yeah, coming out of immigration, it's just like it's sort of like on, on a certain level that is it's always like a trauma <laughs> for me. That's right, like, it's right, like a right. punishment, like to be sent away. Like, why do I have to leave? <laughs> right. 
and yeah, only impacted. I'm the only one in my family that's impacted that way too. Hmm. And Interesting. I, I think it has to do with, you know, my moving, you know, when I was seven, having like, right. all, you know, every reference point ripped from, you know, the rug ripped out from under me, you know, and right. So, yeah. Yeah. Tra travel's not a, like travel's not like a favorite. I've ne I've never I don't know if I've ever voluntarily on my own go gone on a vacation to a place. Mhm. Mm uh, all the trips are like to visit family or out of obligation to like, you know, a you know, a romantic partner or something. Right. But it would it would never even like occur to my mind to just go somewhere unless there was a specific reason like like some art show at a museum or, you know, a play or something. Right. Yeah. It's all kind of, kind of like event or mission based for me. <laughs> and I, I don't yeah. spend, I, 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 yeah. I understand that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I certainly tend to, I tend to stick around a lot until I have a reason to go, but then it's like 10 countries in a, in a month. It's a lot. But yeah, you're there doing a thing. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a kind of, it's like a work trip or a, yeah. not a work trip exactly yeah sort of it sort of is yeah that kind of travel although i mean like in retrospect i could have seen myself like like driving a tour bus for a band i could have i, I would have been good at that oh yeah uh because but I, I spent you know 15 years of my life driving for a living one way or another you know um hey can i take a break of course. This recording. Okay. Of course. I'll be, I'll be back in two minutes. Okay. Cool. Are you still there? I am. Hi. Thanks. Sorry about that. Oh no, of course. Nature. So, nature calls. It does. Yeah. <laughs> I, are you? Do you? Can you still speak Russian? I can. Yeah, and I've actually, over the last few years, especially, yeah, probably more intensively when COVID started have dived back into both listening and reading Russian, which I had neglected for a long time. Uh -huh. And also during that time, my dad started sending me all these like Russian poems that he knew and huh. that he'd selected. And I did this thing where I actually on eBay, I found a, a Smith Corona, like Cyrillic typewriter and typed out a bunch of the poems and made like a zine kind of thing. Oh, nice. Out of them, out of, and would read them. So the early, one of the early iterations of this podcast audio thing was that, like, I would just read stuff, like r Russian poems, and then other, like, excerpts of other things in English that I was reading or, or stuff that I was working on, but just into a microphone because I was just here, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was really valuable not just to kind of like reacquaint myself with Russian, but also just to arrive finally at, at a cadence, a reading mm -hmm. cadence mm -hmm. that was okay. Because, I mean, I'd gotten into the this whole writing thing so late in life, you know? Right. And my, you know, first book was published, I was 41. And, right. you know, along with book publishing, you do these horrible things called book readings. Right, right. And there's just so you usually so awful and awkward for both the audience and the performer 
because the performers <laughs> because the performers are not performers and the thing they made is not meant to be read aloud uh, right. so i kind of battled it and battled it and like the be- the better ones were ones where like i'd have like some friends playing some kind of music like you know sort of uh-huh. either more jazz kind of thing or kind of just making sounds right. because it would fill in the gaps you know mm-hmm. because unless i mean unless you're amazing at it or you're you've got a voice like orson welles it's just not it's not good <laughs> you know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as a general rule but uh during this whole lockdown time just reading things into a microphone kind of made it made it finally click you know <laughs> Right. Or at least be acceptable, <laughs> I've found. Right. There's a short um, a short essay by George Orwell about poetry in the microphone. Mm. Um, What's it in? Is it in like one of the – is it in one of the books? I mean, I assume it's uh, in one of the books. You know, I don't know. I think I, think I just found it I, – I, I think if you just do like a uh, – a web search for poetry. Oh, I'll and, look for uh, it. What does I, he say? It, what? It's it's sort of. Um, I think he was involved in like the BBC when he was in India or something. So he's sort of like, yeah, thinking through some of those experiences, but also um, uh, he, he's he's talking about like the new relationship that you sort of get to. Um, the, kind of the, the 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 intimacy of the microphone mm. offers a you know it, it's like different than going to a reading where the reader needs to project yeah you know if when there's a when there's a microphone it, be, it it's it's really mediates the the situation in a in a really different way and it's sort of like a new a new way of like listening to and understanding poetry mm yeah, I'll I'll look that up. Yeah. I'll look yeah. that up for sure. It's just it's just a few pages. It's a, but it's an interesting little essay that I occasionally have assigned to my sound students. Mm. <clears throat> well, that guy's usually worth reading just about just about mm-hmm. anything. But yeah. <laughs> that that's that's cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, the Ru- Russians still around. Uh, so you know, I, I, I will occasionally have a a book going reading reading something in russian then but i have i've never had any russian speaking friends like at all my whole life all i all i've ever had is family you know right that's the only place that that's ever been exercised you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i've also started i like yeah also during lockdown started making collages and a lot of the collages are made out of like old letters and other like homework and shit. And there's mm-hmm. a bunch of it. There's like the Cyrillic is, you know, the, all the Russian words have kind of worked their way in, you know, because uh-huh. I'm trying to figure out some way, I mean, overall to fuse the, you know, the painting and the writing. Right. I kind of would, I at some point would just like it to be fused and be one thing, you know? Right. And I don't know if that's possible, but that's that's what the collage thing has kind of gotten me because, I mean, the, at least the way I do collage, it's very rarely photo based. Uh-huh. It's more like either text or just just 
color, you know? Uh-huh. I've also been ripping up old sketchbooks and reusing them in old mm. paintings. I did, a, like, actually one of, one, one of my uh, paintings from undergrad that I, I, I dragged back to Chicago from a visit to Brookline mm-hmm. that had been living in my parents' basement, uh, you know, all these years, and I dragged it here and stuck a bunch of shit to it and fixed it, covered up all the parts of it that are horrible, <laughs> and <laughs> made, made a new thing out of it, and some guy bought it, and it's, like, it's hanging in his house. It's like a five-foot-tall thing, you know, like... wow. It's like it's a big one, and I don't I don't usually work that big anymore, but it's been fun. That's neat. Wow. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, you know, you, there's no just no telling what 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 kind of turns you know. <laughs> yeah. You'll take as time goes on. Uh, but yeah, I, I also I occasionally get to design like you know like album covers or. Of uh-huh. covers for other people and that's 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 usually fun have you done any any um video not not very much not very much video uh uh-huh. i mean i did uh when i put out a book the second book was put out by a horrible local small press that turned out to be run by a crook but uh <laughs> Uh, I made kind of like stop motion, kind of like, sort of like a very crude animation kind of book trailers for that. But I have been thinking about, yeah, somehow, like with all this collage stuff, like it would definitely lend itself to some sort of stop motion thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that seems like once you're in that medium, then you've got the the writing and the speaking into a microphone and the the drawing and the collaging it that that seems like a way it could all come together pretty fluidly yeah there's i mean there's a couple of things i taped like like i as part of this collage thing like i have a bunch of really old books that i've ripped up and like redone things kind of done a bunch of frankenstein surgery too mm-hmm. and there's a couple of them that i just turn the camera on and flip the pages and try to talk about what, what it was I was trying to fucking do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it would need a more of a, a little bit more of an organized kind of script or like a more of a plan than that was <laughs> to be really compelling, I think. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's sort of, because it's like a newer thing, it's a thing I only started a few years ago. I could just, I think I'm going to keep going, doing this for a a long time. Yeah. And I still, I mean, I I can revert, I can still do, I have a sketchbook that I carry around everywhere. I still draw bands and stuff, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then for, I've, you know, I've, you know, I do pet portraits and stuff. That's like, that's the most lucrative thing I probably do these days and the easiest is pet portraits. So I can still do that that kind of stuff, the stuff I've sort of like been practicing and trained myself for all these decades, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah, left to my own devices here. uh, It's usually some sort of ripped up collage thing that's happening (laughs) these days around here. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, 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 um, 
this uh, this other media class that I t teach is just like a general media class, and I have the the students. They have to do like a few collages, and then they have to collaborate to do a zine, and <clears throat> and, um, and, and they're they're all heading towards making video. They, I mean, they're all making video stuff all, all, uh -huh. already, but I'm I'm trying to sort of like I try to frame the idea of editing as uh, a kind of collaging that happens in in time across mm. time like when you make a cut it's like the yeah. same as like when you stick one image next to the other it's it's just like one after the other instead of yeah. next to the other and it, and it's I, I really think that 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 there's a lot to that 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 like video or film there's a lot of like collage sensibility that goes goes into it oh for sure yeah yeah i mean it, it would yeah it's definitely if, if you're somebody like me that's not really great at collaborating or working with others like the kind yeah. of pri prim primitive stop motion thing is a way into into movies of some kind you know yeah 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 maybe i'll get to it i don't know uh so, so what are, uh what are your main things these days is is it like the kind of like the relaunch of neptune is that like one of the main things now or um that's like on my radar i haven't spent a lot of time working on that yet i i spend a lot of time doing just doing electronics actually oh really yeah for what for like a for, to what to to make a thing like to invent I, a thing or yeah i just i just made a a new just like a guitar distortion circuit mm. uh yesterday and and so it's just on the breadboard still. I have to like solder it together and make it more permanent. But I, yeah, I was like, oh, this sounds better than the old one I was using. Let me, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I've, yeah, because I've been, I, I don't know. I guess I've been teaching has has forced me to step that up a, a little bit. Um, because I'm really, I, I, the students seem to like doing hands-on stuff and I like doing hands-on stuff. I get really uh, just exhausted by looking at a computer for too long. Mm. It's not, it's not really, I don't enjoy it that much. I, I, I can do it a little bit, but. Uh, yeah. I don't, I find... e yeah. I think even kids that, you know, they don't have had them their you know, their entire life. Some of them like the smarter ones know it's not that good for them. Yeah. Cause yeah, I was, I was, brought in my that same uh, art art school classmate that brought me in to teach the, the art classes a few years ago he always has me come in and give like a slide talk or a, a reading to his he has a seminar class uh-huh and uh this last time i talked about a book and one of the one of the students afterwards was like saying you know like you should you should be on tiktok you know because that's where Apparently that's where books are sold now is on TikTok. Mm. Uh, book, uh, there's this thing called Book Talk. But mm. and then I asked her, well, like, why well, if, if if you think this this will be cool on TikTok, why don't you make a video for like? And she told me like that she deleted it off her phone because she was on it too much. Oh. like some of them like at least are beginning to realize that it's it's not entirely healthy. 
yeah. what's happening on there and staring into a screen all day. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> um, when when uh, my wife was at MIT, she was used to work with uh, Sherry Turkle, who's a a media critic. Has written these books like uh, what was the book I read by hers? It was it's called um, Reclaiming Conversation. Mm, yeah, I've heard of that. I've, I, yeah. That that name sounds familiar. Her name. Yeah. 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 She's she's. Um, you know, her her books get noticed, and she's on. I, I don't think she must be on talk shows and stuff from time mm -hmm. to time when she has a book come out. But some, it's you know, she's got a lot of really valid critiques, and, and surprisingly, in that book, um, a lot of good advice for um, you know, like what to just like don't take your phone to bed, like put it in a different room and that kind of right. like just basic stuff. But she made this this analogy in that book that she's she's like the, the way we are with like media and social media and smartphones it's like it's like it's 1930 and everybody just got an automobile and nobody mm -hmm. is no, but nobody's got a seat belt and nobody right. even has like thought of having a seat belt or right. a fucking driver's license right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's true So maybe, I mean, maybe that'll come in the decades, but there's going to be some, some more crashes before then, some more grisly crashes. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I imagine like, I'm not, I, I quit all the social media like eight years ago uh, mm. and quit. That's the same time I quit uh, having a smartphone. Huh. Uh, and it was, it was a definitely one of the more healthy choices I made in my recent life. Uh -huh. But, you know, I read about all this stuff and like these these guys that run these, you know, the social media companies are just making it progressively more horrendous. Yeah. Like each thing they do is worse than the last. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. And at some point, you know, there's, they're going to hit tilt and there's going to be some sort of exodus somewhere. You know, I don't yeah. know where it will be, but <laughs> maybe it'll just be outside to. I mean, I remember pretty clearly. I wrote about it for the the local alter for the Chicago Reader, who I write for sometimes. Like you know, turning turning off the the smartphone and the you know Twitter was like suddenly there was like you know sky outside and birds singing and stuff. Practically, you know, like yeah. oh, there's all this time and all these things going on that I was ignoring because. Because these machines are calculated to make you want to more and more and more, you know. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. just it just becomes just junk food, empty calories. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it added hours and hours to every day, you know. And I still, I mean, I still like my my more recent fantasy is just like to have the internet like you know once a week or once a month or something. But I'm I'm nowhere near that because. Almost all whatever money I make comes from the right. f from from the the Black Mirror, you know. <laughs> right. And there's definitely, I mean, it's obviously it's an amazing tool and stuff, but uh, yeah, the daydream is to turn it off even more, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That would be nice if we could sort of get to a 
place where it was not so fast, not so instant. <laughs> no, and it's just it's very few people that use any of that stuff either interestingly or wisely, you know. Yeah. I mean, I know I didn't. And it's because I I've a compulsive personality. I was one of those people like when I was on Twitter, I would I was on there for 7 years and I would get up in the morning and go scroll back through the timeline for all the shit that I missed. Mm. Because yeah, I don't, and I know this about myself. It's like it'll either be on or it'll be off. There's kind of no in between setting, you know. Mm -hmm. So so it's got to be off, and I don't. I very rarely miss it, you know. Mm -hmm. And people stick their smartphones in my face to see some shitty photograph of something, and it's like I don't. It almost doesn't even compute anymore. I don't know what it is I'm looking at, you know, because I'm, I'm so not used to my phone uh, doesn't even have a camera on it. It's got no way to access the Internet. It's just talk and text on it. It's great. Oh, that's good. That's yep. great. And service for it is twelve dollars a month, which is also very nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. So, you know, I try to fight, fight a, a futile fight back whatever way I can, you know. Yeah, but you know, you and I are like old enough to have lived a, a good chunk of our lives before any of this shit happened. Yeah, I don't know how it even is for like these like the college age kids or younger, who don't know don't know any other reality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They. I mean, they seem in various state stages of awareness about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they do kind of know that there are some problems um yeah they definitely they're a lot of them are like getting their news from social media like they're not really yeah. like paying attention to much that is uh i don't know outside of those spheres that whatever they whatever the current algorithms allow them to see and it creates that kind of thing that you're talking about a while ago about like how you move moving from Cambridge to Colorado. It, it's an echo chamber where you only see or hear the things that confirm what you already like, like or whatever, sure. or believe. <laughs> you yeah. won't see anything else. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think that those the, the rise of social media has definitely um, brought on this extreme state of uh, political divisiveness um, in, in the country today and in the world. <clears throat> we, we watched a, um, a movie not too long ago it was like a, a documentary from a while back it's called hands on a hard body oh where they compete for the car yeah, yeah where they compete for the car you remember this uh i uh, i heard a radio I, it was there was a this american life episode about it like an audio yeah. episode about it i don't know if i saw the movie yeah okay yeah so they're i know they're the competing story for a car yeah. it's like yeah. a it's like a radio uh, it's like a contest. Publicity. Yeah, it's a yeah. contest, and they have to like stand up and like not fall asleep and not fall over. Mm -hmm. and just like 
yeah. keep one hand on the truck and the last right. one standing yeah. gets it. But it's in it's in sort of like rural Texas, and it's you know it's like um, what what nowadays would be would be Trump country, mm-hmm. you know. But it's it's like pre-Trump. Yeah, and it's I forget when this movie is made. Fifteen years ago, maybe twenty years ago. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's from a little, little. But it but it was it was really interesting watching it because um, it, it you just couldn't make the same kind of movie nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, they, like it's just it's just like uh, people are so are so divided and so othered with the by their politics yeah it's interesting yeah i mean i think i imagine all that stuff was uh present but it's a it's a matter of what was allowed what what it was seemed to be acceptable to share in a in public forums right uh so now everybody's got a soapbox and a megaphone where they can broadcast their views no matter like where the view was they're just repeating somebody else or if long held beliefs, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's what it is, but <laughs> well, you're, you're leading by example. It's good. You're, I, I appreciate your, your, um, unplugging or you're finding like a way to, 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 well, yeah, but yeah, it's not, you know, I'm doing what I can, but it's not yeah. like, it's not like I'm, yeah, I, and I used to be, you know, people used to like call me like a Luddite or something, and I was pretty late to the internet, and yeah, I mean, I mean, until I, I got, I was briefly married, and I was married to a database programmer, and she was the one that showed me how to turn on a computer in like 2003. Oh, wow. And she I didn't made know that she made me know. a website, and I still maintain the website. Like uh-huh. my website's about like turning twenty years old at the end of this year. Yeah, your <laughs> website's great. It's it, it's definitely like it's like a luddite website, but it's not. Well, a, it's not. You can't call it a luddite because you're you're because it's not. Yeah, I, I'm it's using. Not. You know, I'm. But I'm like hand. You know, she made all the first H html pages for it and i just keep cutting and pasting and updating them yeah and just building hot spots it's very old school internet you know and there's yeah. no way to you know optimize it for a you know a smartphone or anything and yeah. i've put in so much work to it that i'm not about to do that you know what i mean right but i have fi- i have all the image and other source files that i can share with anybody you know yeah. to use on whatever device there is that's that's the way my website is too it's it's like uh hand coded yeah yeah exactly <laughs> artisanally crafted <laughs> yep yeah it, it, it you know it, it's my weird like whatever like redesign you know rebuilt hot rod in the garage standing on blocks you know that's that's what my website is <laughs> it's and it's just an archive. It's not, it's not really practical in any way. Uh, not, not in any, uh, you know, these horrible words like monetize or whatever. Right. That, that can't be done on well, it. That, I mean, that's the, the way you, the, the path you have found through this is uh, indicative of your, 
your relationship with with technology um the the i lost the thread of what i was well, that, no the, no it's <laughs> that's fine i mean like at the end of the day the thing is that whatever devices or whatever i'm using i'm still just a dumb painter yeah I, and i always will be <laughs> it, it's it's relationship it, it's indicative of your relationship with technology but it's also uh it speaks to kind of a like a a, a diy ethic yeah as well yeah I, yeah I and it's that's sort of because of like the time that i grew up in you know yeah and my examples for how people express themselves were like they made zines or put out their own whatever right. seven inches and it's but i mean it's, my it's it's like a way of thinking like, oh, okay, I can understand that some of these new technologies may have uh, a, a place or a, a value, but I, I don't want to merely consume this technology. I'd like to like use this technology. And so people like you and I end up with these kind of unwieldy hand-coded websites because yeah. we're not, we just can't bring ourselves to like go to the have Wix do it for us or whatever it is. Oh, those, people. oh, they're fucking horrendous. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've fooled around with those and, uh, they're just so standardized and they just drive me batshit. I can't, mm -hmm. I can't get them to look the way I need them to look so I can sleep at night. You know? uh -huh. uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, through this like weird plotting, blundering thing, you know, I've taught myself how to like design whole books, you know, on, on programs on on the computer you know we have a um th there's this little gem of a of museum at uh cu at the university here that, that's called the media archaeology lab mm. <laughs> and it and it's um it's started by an english professor actually uh dr emerson and she's she um started collecting old um apple computers mm. and, and and now it's like it's got all of these uh, uh all of it, it you can you can walk in it's basically the basement of a house and, and you can walk in and you can turn anything on and play around with it and you can oh, use cool. it all and it's got like old video games and oh like um, you can play pong or something or yeah you can yeah. play pong or or um they have vectrex that's that one gets me i uh, i don't know if you remember which vectrex. one is vectrex that was the one that came with its own monitor. It was like a home video game, but it was a vector graphic system, mm -hmm. like the old Atari. Like yeah. it's really bright, uh, not like the old. Um, like the green, like the green yeah. lines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the green lines. Yeah, and it just came on a little monitor. Yeah. Is that there is what there was a game that I really liked in that style that was like you were a tank and you were shooting. Yeah. You were going through this kind of like moonscape. I forget the name of that game and you can oh, get yeah. it. You can get it on a, like those retro sites, you know, that reproduce old arcade games. It right, was an arcade right. game. Yeah. And, and you would put it like your face to like the periscope kind of thing, you know, and, right. but you right. were in this landscape just made out of vector shapes, you know, like, right. yeah, it was very, very primitive, but, yeah. But you would have other your the other people that were attacking you would be fire from points that you can see like from your back, and shit, right. and then like suddenly yeah. you were dead, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, 
well they, this um this this little museum is sort of like uh dedicated i guess to kind of like exploring the the historical position of um well first of all it's just fun and, and interesting but it's but there's an idea behind it that it's sort of like supposed to expose the um the historical nature of the evolution of these technologies that it's contingent upon a lot of um a lot of different factors that that um technology doesn't it doesn't it didn't have to be the way it is now it, mm. it's not you know yeah. it's not like um it could have developed in any any number of ways and so when you when you kind of see that these rows of computers arranged by model after model after model you sort of like begin to get that but the the um anyway this professor wrote this this book the book is called reading writing interfaces and it's sort of uh uh thinking about how the the com the computer specifically is supposed to be kind of a um a lot of the ad the rhetoric of the ad copy at least is is about the the invisibility of the of the interface that mm. basically it's just like you sit down and your thoughts come right out onto the screen you know that's oh. that's the that's that's the, <laughs> the the idea that's being promoted um but but that re really her her point is that that any interface is influencing the content that it's sort of like part of the way things get get written you know oh yeah oh you're oh. gonna you're gonna write something totally different on an old typewriter than you would on a fancy laptop absolutely or, yeah. yeah um but it's yeah I, I I forget now the why I got onto talking about that, but but it our weird handmade websites or, like, mm -hmm. or, or whatever, yeah. Oh yeah, that there was there was early on in um, you know with the with the Apple IIe and all those computers, that was kind of like a um, those had a, an invitation to the tinkerer. You know, you could put mm. sort of like expansion cards in, and they wanted yeah. you to understand how a computer worked and then um you know the the apple company really at at some point with the introduction of the like the macintosh stuff that took a turn toward the dark side toward being this like really yeah they see they made it sealed. so you couldn't even open the thing anymore yeah you can't yeah. you can't open it and it became oriented not towards sort of like deep knowledge and understanding mm -hmm. experimentation but oriented towards just consumerism yeah and i i think that that sort of that that's that's the kind of um thing that that we are are missing when we're when we're messing around with with our hand-coded websites mm -hmm. it's, it's because we we want to like be involved in a meaningful way not a consumerist way yeah with these with these technologies i mean but and like you know in in my case the, i mean the hilarious thing about it is like I, i'll spend all this time doing this shit on these screens but what i'm making is a thing that had the only things i care about making are the things that are tangible or like you know pictures or books you know? right. yeah 
but it just is what it's really good for is it allows me to cut out all these other people that used to have to be involved you know i don't have to take right. my book to a, a a typesetter you know right yeah i can i i can send at, at this point uh you know i send a pdf to a printing press and they and they they will after a certain time send me back books it's it's that streamlined now you know wow it's just kind of amazing yeah <laughs> but i yeah i mean my skills are remain totally ru rudimentary and i you know i basically just am cutting and pasting stuff you know i'm do making do you work with an editor at all? Do you get like that sort of? Oh, for the for the for the text? Yeah. Yeah, I've I've I mean like being involved in publishing for a while, like I, right. I've made friends with people, and you yeah. know, I either pay them or swap, give them like artwork or something to make right, passes. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would be the sort of the more meaningful human interaction. It's it makes it makes sense to kind of cut out the other stuff and just let the machine do it but, yeah yeah but it's more uh, you know it's kind of like analogous to having you know like running like you're on a label or you just put out stuff yourself you know right i'm in a weird spot with that where i used to deal with publishers and now i don't deal with publishers and it's it's both good and bad i mean i have right. complete creative control but because I refuse to go on social media, getting word out there is is difficult, you know. Yes. There there are a lot of constraints, some self-imposed and some institutional, you know, constraints. Like, for instance, my my books are not distributed by Ingram, which is has a monopoly on book distribution in America mm -hmm. and really a lot of the world. Mm -hmm. And there's just no uh, there's no way in for me in as, as the entity i am you know right so the only way to get my books is either directly from me or from a few like small bookstores that i have personal relationships with right and uh most most bookstores don't want to don't want to bother you know right uh dealing with with a human they'd rather push a button and have the warehouse deliver whatever X amount of products. Right. <laughs> do you, so do you, do you, when you, when you publish a book, do you do, do you then, um, how many readings will you do to, to support that? It varies. It very, I mean, and so some of these like this, uh, there's less reading like in since like the sort of like whatever the winding down of the whole uh COVID thing there's less uh, like a lot of the the bookstore readings have not bounced back you know <laughs> there's just a lot right. fewer there's a lot fewer opportunities but i get you know i i get invited to read with other people now and then and uh like i'm, I'm gonna do one next month uh -huh. and they're but that it's like a result of other kind of happenstance or where you know i review books sometimes and somebody like that that's what's happening next month is i i wrote about this guy's book and he invited me to do an event with him you know because oh, of nice. that yeah stuff like that uh and i try you know i try to go on podcasts podcasts i'll do you know because mm -hmm. i like them mm -hmm. for and because it's long form and it's 
it's less yeah i don't know it feels less like just shilling you know just right. sh shilling your crap or or i'll do uh like that the thing at the P pitchfork music festival where i just have a table with books and art and i just sit right. there you know and sell stuff right but yeah it's it's sort of a it's definitely a marathon not a sprint <laughs> doing it this way you know right yeah uh and the yeah the, the problem is uh, unless whatever you you make ha you know like somebody can see a way to make a bunch of money at it it's it's not worth the trouble of dealing with them the things that like a small publisher can do for me kind of is less than what i you know the right. the hassle and like the cutting up of whatever meager earnings it's it's just not worth it anymore i right. found yeah. Rather than just doing it myself and having boxes of books here, them slowly moving out the door, you know, one or two at a time. That's mm -hmm. mm -hmm. weird. But like, yeah, I mean, book publishing is, <laughs> it's definitely not a, a money making venture, not for me, you know. Right. Like, you know, like I can I can make a pet portrait in a few hours uh, and make the same amount of money it would take you know like I'd have to sell like thirty books or something to equal right. that you know right yeah <laughs> so even 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 like a dummy who just went to art school like me like can can add up those kinds of numbers and know that you know they're doing something because they have some kind of weird need to do it you know or aesthetic art requirements you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I just like books. I like making them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well. I don't know if I'd recommend it to others. <laughs> yeah, they're nice. I like books. Yeah, me too. <laughs> they stick around. They're sort of uh, unassuming in a way, you know, they're, they're there when you want them to be mm -hmm. on the shelf and you, and you, they can come back to you, but they don't force themselves on you. They're nice. That's true. They're, they're really not a lot like social media. They're not like yeah. a TikTok video. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, like after I, I gave that talk in that class and I'd never actually even seen a TikTok before. So I went home and I turned on my laptop and you can actually turn on TikTok on a laptop. It doesn't really work correctly, but it's just so aesthetically ugly, like mm -hmm. everything about it. But I just turned it right off and like, you yeah. know, like, no, no, thanks. I don't think I can make this work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. setting aside all the other like the spyware, whatever, gathering data points and all that other shit that things like TikTok do, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know the answer to any of the, any of that stuff. It's not, I, I get happy when I see like there's teenagers, like there was, I went to this concert of like these kind of teenager bands and in the merch area, in addition to like t-shirts and shit, Mm -hmm. are zines like stapled together zines yeah they're like the there's teenagers that make zines they have no idea what the fuck any of this means really you know <laughs> but right 
but they there's some you know they're like the cool kid these cool artsy kids who are the children of like you know people in bands that's what they do yeah and and that's that's it's kind of sweet to see a thing you know like that i know from whatever 40 something years ago yeah still still happen yeah and they're you know just as shitty as ours like they're like badly photocopied you know like in, <laughs> like the layout is shitty you know like yeah. and that totally makes me happy to see that you know <laughs> because you know i can tell that kid you know that if they stick with it for 30 fucking years you can make an actual book and <laughs> because my right. books are just really fancy zines sometimes when i think about you know right <laughs> It's just a, you know, marriage of text and images, you know. Yeah, but in a in a in a physical form. Yeah. That, yeah. Which just there's no way to replicate on a on a screen. You can't do yeah. it. Yeah. There's no no matter how good you are at it, you know. Yeah. Well, cool. You you want to wrap this up? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm getting a little cold, to be honest. I'm out in the shed, Ooh. which is my 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 work studio spot. Ah, what do you have? A do you guys have a house? Or a... we have a house. Yeah, we have a house. Wow. Yeah, and there's a little little shed that's attached to the back, and that's that's my like little retreat, which I love. But I'm, uh, it's like uh, you know we're in the mountains, and so after night falls, the temperature just starts to drop and drop. And drop. Well, thank thanks for. Giving me this time and freezing out yeah. there for, <laughs> in service of, of of this of this conversation. It was, real, it was a real pleasure, Dimitri. Thank you for inviting me to to chat. It, it's it's been great to it's been great to catch up. Likewise, yeah, well, yeah. yeah let, let me know if you ever pass back through Chicago, and you know, there's, I a, cha there's a chance I may drive. I I drove. So I yeah last year I drove twice to California. Oh yeah, you should come through here. Which yeah, and what I first drove the first time I went to San Francisco actually for a bookstore event because I'm friends with somebody who runs a bookstore in San Francisco. Uh -huh. But then the second time was to LA and that's through Colorado. You know. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I got stuck we... in this crazy traffic jam just outside of Denver, and it was just because. <laughs> people were going to ski you know oh, yeah yeah that happens yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah stop in let let us know next time we have a uh, uh an air mattress that converts the study into the guest room so uh, i'd love to see you yeah. sweet yeah i'll yeah. uh yeah and I'll, I'll i'll let you know when this thing goes up i think it's next week it'll go okay up. great thanks jason right. thanks a lot talk to you later bye